Hello and welcome to the podcast, Costa. Hey, John. Thank you for having me. Uh, no problem, mate. Thank you so much, first of all, for reaching out um, just to touch base. And it's been good again to chat to you a little bit off air, Costa, and just obviously following on from previous episodes that we've had where we've chatted to your co-worker, Michelle, um, around some of the stuff within Squadron. I thought it would be great to get you on just as a complimentary side to that as well and to see what you're doing as well within your role. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, let's dive right into it. Nice, man. I love it, man. I love it. So obviously, because I've had the opportunity to chat to you a little bit, dude, and find out a bit more about you. For folk who haven't come across you or worked with you in the past, you know, can you just tell us where your career started out and where you're currently at? Yeah, so my career actually starts back in high school, believe it or not. So we wound up at our public high school having a full-time strength and conditioning coach come over and run a newly funded, uh, absolutely beautiful, uh, perform better weight room. And it was just to die for. I mean, it's a whole field house. You got 20 plus racks in there, chains, bands, platforms, whatever we need. So uh, that changed my life. You know, I was a low level high school basketball player. You know, my freshman year on the freshman team, I got moved around and I just needed to get in the weight room basically. So I wasn't at a good spot in my life. And we had a full-time strength coach member from Arizona State to run the whole weight room as a class for the students. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Coach Rooney, if you're listening to this right now, uh, yeah, he, he turned my life around, got me to get my stuff together and go to college, basically. Uh, so, of course, when I'm in college, I go in undeclared at first and I go to Longwood University, which is a small school uh, just about southwest of where I'm at here in Richmond, Virginia, in the United States. Um, and then I wind up thinking back to, OK, well, what do I want to do for a living? Right. Well, I want to help people like this coach helped me. So I go exercise science is my declared major. And I don't really know which route I'm going to take just yet. So I wind up. Uh, going in to seeing like, okay, well, this is what physical therapy is like. And, you know, it's not really for me. This is what personal training is like. This is cool, but it's something I could probably do on the side. But then I get a bite of strength and conditioning and I'm just, I'm hooked on it. You know, I wind up going, uh, seeking out a couple internships and get one at my undergrad at Longwood. And I was the intern there for two years while pursuing my bachelor's uh, in exercise science. Uh, you know, during the summertime, uh, we were still required to do other internships. So I went out to uh, Liberty University uh, in between my junior and senior year of college uh, to be with their football strength and conditioning staff up in Lynchburg, Virginia. And then I went to Virginia Commonwealth University uh, during the summer before I went into grad school at the University of Miami. Uh, while down at Miami, I got my master's uh, in exercise physiology with a concentration in strength and conditioning specifically. Uh, and I wound up being the graduate assistant strength and conditioning coach for Olympic sports over there. Uh, for the last year and a half, I was there out of my two-year stint. Um, I've ran teams at every institution I've been at, so it's, it's definitely a blessing to have those uh, coaching experiences on and programming experiences as a young coach coming up in the field. Because a lot of times, some people just don't get those experiences. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it kind of shows later on down the road. Uh, from there, I uh, went back uh, to Richmond, Virginia. I uh, wound up getting a part-time job just to keep my name in the field. You know, it's, it's not easy climbing the, length, the ranks in athletics. So I was at Henrico High School as their head strength coach uh, for about seven months and then uh, wound up going into getting a job with Exos up in Detroit, Michigan. Uh, there I worked at two different sites uh, within the Exos community, and I was in charge of NFL Combine prep, pro and college athletics when they would return if they needed their all-season programs, uh, gym pop groups, and some of the firefighter groups who would have come in as well and doing workshops uh, with them. And I think that's where I really fell in love with the tactical community. Then, you know, I got to a point where, okay, well, I really want to get back to Virginia, where I'm initially from. And I kept seeing uh, this contract come up. Uh, it's called OHWS, stands for Optimizing Human Weapon Systems. Mm-hmm. So I learned a little more about the contract, realized it was with fighter pilots. 
uh, decided that, hey, you know, there's a base uh, right where I'm at in Virginia, and it seems like it's going to be a good fit for me down the road. So from there, I uh, wound up applying for it, uh, kind of with every major contractor. And then from the contractor uh, side of things, the I think it was like one of the two companies that got the contract I didn't uh, connect with for whatever reason, because there's a ton of uh, other contracting companies bidding on it. But because I made those connections, uh, wound up coming through and giving my resume to the uh, hiring manager in charge because they're still trying to fill some of the positions. And that's how I ended up uh, at the base I'm at right now, working with fighter pilots as a strength conditioning coach. Man, that's pretty solid career path through Dukes. I mean, if we look back then, just during times in your undergrad and your, your master's degree, you were saying you were running programs there within athletics. What, what, what sports were you looking after during that period? Yeah, so I was assisting with all major sports and helping program for those. But the main teams that I ran uh, were swim. Um, I had a chance to work with uh, basketball at certain uh, institutions and then football um, at the uh, main high school I was at. And then from there, you know, I actually had a lot of time with cheer and dance, believe it or not. Um, you know, they are not a moneymaker team at the end of the day, which mm -hmm. is a great fit for someone like a grad assistant or an intern who's already proven that he's capable of handling those uh, responsibilities and opportunities that are given to him. And you learn a lot. You realize that even a sport like that really needs it. Yeah. That's the interesting thing, dude. And I always say, it's like any interns I've had in the past, you know, who are <clears throat> dead set on, you know, going into a certain sport, you know, like one of the mainstreams for us here in the UK would be soccer or our equivalent football and um, rugby or potentially say maybe hockey is another big one or swimming. I always mm -hmm. say, like, you know, go dip your toe in the water of other sports, find out how they operate, learn mm -hmm. their language. What, what, do, what do they buy into and what drills or things can you take from them and apply to other sports as well? And there's a huge carryover, I'd say. And it's just the, the, the whole language changes massively as well, changing from institution to institution as well. And I think it's a great thing to be as diverse as that, as opposed to someone who's just very much monosport of being like, right, all I've done is football for the last 20 years. And I understand football, but if I was to come out, how do I connect with, say, you know, uh, a young freshman college swimmer or something like that how do i use that same language choice and stuff as well which is huge oh yeah yeah and and, and it really just goes to show that as a coach you have to be that social chameleon right you got to be able to adapt certain situations and it's good to dip your toe in the water like you said with everyone else earlier on because you're going to fail at some point and you mm -hmm. need to learn from it um and i think that's been a good thing as a young coach to have you know you go in and you realize okay like you know even though this energy system development portion of my program is great for swim and they really buy into it and would probably still be good for a lot of other sports. They may not like it. It could just be a cultural difference. It could even be like, okay, are you at a division one athletic school, D2, D3, and AIA, or even just a high school, you know, and how does the head coach respond to that? Yeah. So you got to also got to know your audience at the same time. No, hundred percent, hundred percent. And then obviously you're saying then after finishing up Exos, you picked up on the contract for OHWS, was it optimizing human weapon systems? Yeah, yes, sir. That's correct. So with that then, dude, how have you found that transition going from more so your, your background based in athletics now into more of the tactical military side of things as well? And just that transition into that organization? Yeah. So we had to start the program from scratch. Um, so, you know, when I first initially got there, they had built up a, a mock weight room and a shared facility with uh, some other uh, squadrons in the area and on base. Uh, however, you know, we were, God, I want to say at least a mile and a half across the base. So, and if you know anything about fighter pilots, you know, they have 12 to 13 hour work days. 
So it's how can we tailor a program to get them in here, get them specifically what they need, and then also like get by it. Because there were times where I had to hop in my car, drive over to the other side of the base and just walk through the squadrons, whether that's just to give a squadron a brief, the wing a brief, whatever it may be, and then connect with them afterwards and pick up their numbers and then wind up uh, kind of recruiting them to come in almost. Um, but you, but what we found is that if you targeted a couple key members in each squadron that had a lot of social pull, so the commander, the director of operations, uh, the weapons officer, those three kind of top ranking members, if you won some of those key people over, a lot of the uh, younger pilots would just follow suit a lot of the time. And then they would try to make time to get in and get what they need. That's interesting to see you do as well. And just like, obviously, getting that buy-in from more senior members within squadron as well. What about, you know, just culture and language choice and stuff as well? Did that have to change as well? Come in, just learning that lingo? Yeah, uh, I, I think it, it really harps on being as efficient as you can with as little as possible. Yeah. And that doesn't only translate to programming, that translates to everything from the way you speak, uh, your body language, everything. I mean, I'm sure there's some stuff in college athletics that is, you know, we could do and maybe expand upon a little more. But even with these guys, it's got to be quick, fast. Why is it going to help me? Okay, cool. And then being able to debrief that back to them in their own language. For instance, you know, fighter pilots in the sky, they're experiencing a lot of strain on their body. You know, when they pull back on the stick and push the throttle forward, uh, you know, they can experience up to 1,800 to 2,000 pounds of force put on their neck and spine and body at, at that time. Um, so I would have to relate a lot of things that I did back to flying. So, okay, well, co like, coach, why are we deadlifting, right? Okay, well, we're going to use this trap bar deadlift to take some pressure off your low back. We need to put you up on the DC blocks to limit the range of motion. That's why we're doing it. Then on top of that, it's going to strain the muscles that you need to keep your body tight so the blood doesn't drain from your head into your, um, you know, core of your body. Mm -hmm. And then obviously going into that role, you're saying setting up the program from the very start at the very beginning. So obviously being guys within the military, you know, the, the use of certain way of training, Mm -hmm. Was there any pushback initially with you coming in with more of the athletic model and be like, look, we're going to do this? And, you know, did you, how did you manage those conversations? So I think initially it was just a lot of change at once. Yeah. Um, however, what we started off with was trying to give people what they wanted to get them in. So we came up with a system that was these tracks. We had a hypertrophy track, a strength track, a work capacity track. You know, uh, we had a quick workout track that we called Flashbang. We just put like a random wad up on there that still didn't tax them too much. So it wasn't like a CrossFit workout of the day, but we wanted them to go through and at least have, you know, a, a quick, fast, high intensity workout if that's all they had time for, because something's better than nothing. Mm -hmm. Then we got some feedback on the program and we wound up saying, okay, well, this is a lot of programming for one coach. We were able to hire another coach, Chef Appel, who I'm very grateful to have on our staff right now. And we were able to take all those tracks, combine them into uh, three different programs that we run for the guys right now. And then from there, it was, we have a fighter pilot performance track that's done in block periodization models. So we'll have a hypertrophy you know, block for three months, a strength block for three months, um, a body composition block. We try and get some fat off them for three months and build a port capacity and a restoration phase to build their body back up. And each phase has different characteristics uh, that they'll use. Uh, from there, we also got some feedback that we have a big CrossFit community here. So, okay, as a coach, I can't just come in and say, okay, well, I hate CrossFit. You know, am I its biggest fan? Not really, but there's a lot you can still learn from it, right? Mm -hmm. So we go through and we create CrossFit work-esque workouts that'll still get that same heart rate response, which is really what they're looking for, um, and just structure it better. So instead of doing our Olympic lifts, you know, at the very end and doing 20 snatches after we're already fatigued, 
you know, we're going to do a uh, five by two on snatch earlier on or add some progressions and regressions into that, then proceed with a harder uh, workout of the day for those guys. And even though it's a small percentage of pilots that are on that, it's still very important. And then our third track is gonna be individualized programs for people that have specific goals, mm -hmm. um, specific needs, or need to go return to flight protocols uh, that uh, Michelle forwards to us as well. So we have these three main tracks now that we've kind of narrowed down for, for them and expanded upon what we've already done in year one. And obviously we were chatting a little bit off there as well and just saying the difference between college athletics and then getting into squadron, it's very much a volunteer program. So obviously back in the college sector, if you had an athlete who was skipping workouts, you know, you could go straight to the head coach by listening to this guy skipping. How, how does that work then? You know, if say you have a pilot who's maybe, um, you know, maybe not there 100% of the time, you know, they may drip, dip in and out of the program as opposed to completely removing themselves. How do you manage that? So this is uh, something that um, as strength coaches, sometimes we're too close to the problem to or too close to what we know to mm -hmm. figure out. And it's actually bigger than that. So um, Jeff and I wound up talking with uh, one of the other uh, fighter pilots who's a pretty high ranking member. And what we found was sometimes, you know, if we had a five day a week program, guys would come in on like Tuesday, Thursday, and the next week would be Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And then the week after that, it would be five days a week. So they're getting just little snippets of whatever they need. And then finally get to that big week where they're a little more free. So this one pilot helped us come up with uh, an idea and we have a five day a week model for each of the phases. And then we take the most important blocks or supersets that we have or conditioning pieces and then narrow that down to a three day model and then to a two day model. After we did this, we actually found that attendance went up quite a, quite a bit from there because now the guys understand uh, when they come in, Hey, you're going to have, uh, this portion of uh, the workout, if you only have two days a week, these are the most important sections we want you to hit. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, that's really interesting here, dude. And I mean, with that then, so for that then, does it have that capacity then, like you say, to expand out so someone who wants to come and hit those five sections a week, they've got that option of the guys who are a bit more time constrained, they can hit that too and then they're out and that's them done. Yeah, yes, exactly. And that's the whole intent behind it, right? because um, we would have uh, certain pilots shift roles where, okay, they had a, a lot more free time in this specific role, then they're thrown into another role because someone, you know, had a permanent change of station and left, mm -hmm. and now they can only really do two days a week sometimes. Or maybe their schedule just gets packed and they're playing with a lot of uh, practice flights, which they call sorties, or debriefs, or other, you know, aspects of work that just come up day to day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. I mean, for you then, dude, as well, making that transition into the military, what, what, what does your, your typical day look like then within squadron just with regards to start time, finish time? Like, you know, when do you run your sessions? When's like your admin sole periods? You know, what, mm -hmm. what does that look like throughout? Yeah, so I'll give you uh, both of the strength coaches kind of perspectives on this. Uh, so Jeff will be in from 0630 till about 1500 in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. And then I'll be in from 0800, somewhere between 1645 and 1700 before I leave that day, depending on how busy we are and what times we get in. Um, so we have majority of our pilots come in between 0630 and 0930 in the morning. Um, we'll have some admin time after that. You know, we may go work out too. You know, I'm a firm believer in practicing what you preach. Um, we'll have time to do our admin work, a ton of programming traditionally between 11 and one. And then we'll have the next uh, big batch of pilots come in normally sometime between you know 2 p.m. and 5 p.m. normally. So 1400 to 1700. For a guy who's worked in the college sector, the hours there have got to be a lot better as well. Just a bit more fitting with a, a life outside the office. 
Oh yeah. Oh, we can dive into that if you want. That's definitely a big reason that chose me to go tactical. You know, there's a lot of other reasons, but mm -hmm. that was a, a pretty, pretty big selling point for sure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, chatting to numerous guys, you know, from strength conditioning, from physical therapy, that's of things who've worked in the college sector or pro sports mm -hmm. sector. It's just that huge thing of just work-life balance purpose of, you know, your, your role and stuff like that has been one of those big drawing points into the role, I'm guessing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, it was it was unique because like I, I always felt that in college athletics or even the high school I was at or uh, wherever it may be, if a head coach gets fired, the whole staff gets fired normally or gets turned yeah. over. And if you stay like that is a possibility, but the job security is not necessarily there, especially in you know collegiate football or professional football or any professional sport that uh, you know strength coaches end up in. So mm -hmm. from there in. You know, I also had family members that have served in the past, uh, which man, had transitioned into GS level roles uh, or full time DOD employees, as we would call it, instead of contractor roles. And uh, from my family and having the ability to have that name go in there, uh, the tall goddess name be continued within the U.S. government is definitely a big factor for me. You know, this country gave uh, my family everything when it immigrated over from Greece, you know, four generations ago. Fair enough, man. Fair enough. And I mean, with regards to obviously joining into the squadron there from college athletics as well obviously you've got a solid background within multiple sports as a strength coach just you were saying earlier about some of the physical demands you know pilots face when they're out on either sortie or out on actual missions as well and you touched briefly on just like you know how you set up your training blocks your hypertrophy your strength blocks and that so obviously the key the key development factor you've got there with regards to either wanting to get some hypertrophy some strength work and stuff in there or body comp as well how do you match that and get that to marry up with those into the physical demands pilots are facing as well? And what's the carryover from that? Yeah, so, um, Jeff and I came up with a lot of different qualifications that, okay, these are our seven things that every program must have no matter what. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we were looking at uh, neck strength, uh, core stability, T-spine mobility, hip mobility, um, conditioning, uh, just an overall strength base approach. Uh, for the pilots that come in and our program will factor around those specifically. And then obviously we'll undulate the intensity, we'll undulate the week to week um, volume or intensity as needed from there. But those are things that I listed off earlier are non-negotiables going into it. Okay. Okay. Dude. And I mean, with regards to some of the things like obviously you touched on neck strength there, what, what particulars are you doing around that and how are you taking into consideration um, you know, pilots flying schedules as well. Are you mm -hmm. trying to trying to work around that? Are you just like, right, okay, we'll keep it low dose throughout? What, what, what's your approach? Yeah, so it starts off depending on where this pilot is at specifically in regards to, uh, let's say like neck pain, as an example, to chime in on that. Um, if there is a ton of neck pain that's above our scope of practice, that's where uh, Michelle would come in and actually handle those specific situations. And that pilot would be instruct us, be instructed to tell us, hey, we're not going to do uh, neck work for X amount of time until it gets better with Michelle. Uh, once Michelle, you know, treats the issue, uh, we will come in and run certain neck drills with them. Uh, you know, we'll do anything from ISO time movements uh, to uh, weighted neck machine uh, to using uh, bands or an iron neck as well. You know, there's a lot of different factors and other drills that we can go into. And we've spent a lot of time trying to research, develop and come up with um, stuff that's going to work for them that's still mm -hmm. in a timely manner. So our ISOs will be 20 to 30 seconds. Um, traditionally, we can push a little longer if needed, but if there's a time, uh, if time is a limiting factor, 
then we'll actually scale back down to probably that 20 to 30 second range. Um, we'll have other ones where we'll actually have them go through, uh, like for instance, a prone floor series where they'll be lying prone on the floor. We're gonna tuck the chin um, for a certain amount of time and we'll actually uh, move it during that time period. Then we'll take a quick breather. We'll do chin tuck plus extension, chin tuck plus uh, right ear, left ear, pausing in the, in the middle, going towards the shoulders. So they'll go you know, hold for one 1,000, come back in one 1,000, opposite side while having their chin tuck the whole time. Then the next one will be chin tuck plus rotation back in the middle, pause. You know, so we're hitting every single angle we can from a preventative standpoint, so that way they don't have to go back to Michelle. I mean, that, that's, that's an interesting touch on it. I quite like some of that stuff there as well, within being in the prone position and just holding those positions at different mm -hmm. angles as well. Is this something you just generally incorporate within their, their routine within the gym, dude, or... Are you influencing anything with regards to pilots pre and post flight sort of preparation or, you know, recovery stuff as well? So we leave a lot of the pre and post flight work to our athletic trainers on site. Okay. Um, and I know that's still a program that is developing right now just because the schedules are so busy and we're finally starting to really make real progress in on that. Um, but as far as what we do, it's pretty much strictly in the human performance center. Um, and that way, you know, and even like that prone example I gave you was only a small portion of it, right? But if we can have them do that pre-flight and start getting that to be the next stage of development for the program, that's where I could see us going with it. Okay, that's interesting. Dude. That's interesting. And I mean, obviously, special considerations for pilots and that. So, how are you tracking performance within pilots who are engaging within your program and that as well? Are you you tracking uh, strength scores? Is it your body composition stuff? How are you, are you tracking anything for neck strength or, you know, width in the neck or what, what are you typically tracking from your program course and how you, how are you relating that back to the pilots as well? So uh, I'll start off with the government approved version where like these are the metrics the US government wants tracked and then I'll go into uh, what we're doing currently for the neck. And then we'll go to kind of like, okay, here's what, where we want it to go long-term as far as like, because stuff can always be better, right? Yeah. Um, so initially uh, we have four main tests that each pilot will go through. Uh, the first is an in-body body composition where we measure body composition um, with the in-body machine. Uh, there's a specific fasting protocol or active duty dietitian uh, gives them. And then they come in, they do the testing, you know, they'll wipe um, off their feet and their hands, put it all in the nodes. And it takes, I think like maybe two minutes max to do. So it's a pretty quick test to get us a decently accurate body composition for them. Mm -hmm. uh, after that, um, Jeff, myself, and the ATs uh, will run the FMS screening for them. So for those people who are listening don't know what it is, it's just the functional movement screening. We want to look for specific imbalances in the areas of pain or dysfunction that we need to take in consideration uh, for the pilot going forward. Then we do a three rep max trap bar deadlift uh, for strength. Uh, we like that test a lot because we can easily modify it. Um, so if there is elements of back pain, we can put them up on something like the DC blocks or do a trap bar rack pull instead, and then just take note of that when we send the data up the chain. Yeah. Um, the last test is the maximal aerobic speed test, which we do on a concept two rower. And we're just gonna tell the pilot to keep a certain pace uh, for five minutes and then try to beat that score every single time. Um, that just shows work capacity, maximum aerobic speed, other elements of that test uh, as far as the cardiovascular components are concerned. Now, as far as what we're doing on top of that uh, to show uh, data back to our squadron commanders or air combat commander, whoever it may be, uh, we want to 
show neck specifically and low back, but there's not a lot of tests we can really do for the low back at the moment. It's just maybe show do decompression work with them. So for the uh, low back, you know, we'll do everything from putting them on an inversion table, uh, utilizing the McGill Big Three uh, to stabilize their core, um, and specifically the bird dog and other elements of getting traction in the low back, um, and then having uh, different elements or variations uh, for the side plank as well. Um, McGill Big Crunch, we'll take that into an ISO hold if we really need to. Um, but as long as we get those three components in, we found that fixes a lot of uh, guy, uh, pilots that are dinged up uh, from flights or from sorties. And it's just really fascinating to see how effective that protocol really is. Yeah. As far as the neck is concerned, we actually uh, use a um, neck gauge and we'll actually press it on their forehead, on their uh, lateral portions of their head and uh, the uh, posterior portion of their head. And we'll have them go into flexion extension um, in, each, in either of the portions of it. And they'll actually track the score of it. So they'll come in, well, there'll be one beat, the beep will happen. And then uh, there's a second beat that signifies the stop of the test. And then we get a score showing how much force they were able to put into it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we actually were able to track and show in uh, one of our phases that if they actually did the neck work with us, their score skyrocketed on average, which actually is a way we can put a metric to the um, the neck as far as like, hey, yes, this specific pilot's neck straightening has gone up 20%, 30%, however much they need. And then that's just more icing on the cake that we can give back to our leadership. Yeah. I mean, that's cool to hear, dude. I mean, with regards to the neck scores, you, I don't know if you've got this in programming or anything, but if you started playing like benchmarks and like, right, we know if you can hit a certain score of, x you're less likely to pull up with like neck strain or neck pain going on yeah we're, we're still trying to narrow some of those scores down right now there's still some other variables that go into it mm -hmm. we find that if you can hit a score of uh anywhere from like 35 to 50 that's a pretty significant score and obviously getting above that 40 is where we'd like to see everybody for all ranges of motion on the neck nice nice dude yeah and i mean you're saying you've been in post now is because for about two years you've been in post roughly yeah a little less than that nice man and i mean obviously you said you know you you got into post and you started developing program from like basically the ground up from mm -hmm. there you've learned a few lessons throughout as well you touched on briefly like things can always be improved on so where would you like your program to go next where are you starting to think like right okay we could probably start investigating maybe this or that so specifically from a strength and conditioning perspective um we find that the tests the four assessments that i mentioned earlier that we run are, are, are good However, uh, they can always be better, right? So we like keeping the three rep max uh, trap bar deadlift. That, that's definitely what we want to keep. But you know, we'd like to add in some of the neck work that we've done on top of that to be mandated and then add in um, a mid-thigh ISO pull. So mm -hmm. I talked to um, some of our liaisons at other bases uh, that actually had funding to get force plates um, and do these kind of activities. And that actually mimics the strain that, that the pilots go through in the jet. Yeah. So when they're pulling against the bottom of the rack, you know, whether that's it, you know, we can always debate mid thigh, you know, at knee level or below, no matter which one, it's going to be a pretty identical strain to what they go through. So if we can prove that they've been able to increase that strain capability by putting more force in the floor and isometrically squeeze the lower extremities as hard as possible, well, that's going to physically tie into them becoming a better fighter pilot in the jet. Yeah. You, you know, I, I can't go and say, okay, well, I'm going to make you a better fighter pilot. No, I can only put you in a position to be more physically capable of handling, handling the demands and decreasing your likelihood of injury. Definitely. definitely. Yeah. And I think that would be a, 
a, a really good uh, study to look into as well and just see like what is that demand because like you can see the crossover automatically there and what's going through the body and i've had that uh discussion with coaches before as well being like look stuff we do is strength conditioning it's not to make you a better athlete as such as sport or the, the chosen skill set but it's just like we to help develop that physical capacity that you can therefore utilize taking forward as well which is massive well, and I think one of the other components we're looking at, like even going back to the maximal aerobic speed test, it's mm -hmm. not a bad test, but it doesn't mimic some of the, some of the scenarios they go through in, in the sky. Yeah. So one of the things, you know, Jeff and I are looking at are, okay, well, what if we did a hypoxic test, some, mm -hmm. some way to, you know, cause they have to go through breathing uh, when they're in the sky, but they do a movement similar called to the Valsalva movement that we, we would use if we're under, you know, a 500 pound back squat, right? You, know, you want to make sure that uh, core pressure is nice and tight uh, before you do the squat. If they're going and pulling G's in the sky, then we want to make sure that their core is braced as hard as can be. They hold their breath for roughly three seconds and they hook hook it. So you'll hear this almost almost like a strange, like kind of a grunt or a sound as they go through. And then they'll breathe in and re readjust that core pressure for three seconds, squeezing everything as tight as possible. Mm -hmm. This is all while trying to, you know, track targets, you know, understand where the their other wingmen are at. And, you know, if, even if it's a one-on-one -on -one dogfight, assessing is this guy, you know, as I'm doing a check six, looking back, trying to take a shot at me already. Yeah. So it's a lot of different of those components of how we can physically um, increase the conditioning portion of it as well. Mm -hmm. I think that's a huge, huge thing there to do as well. And I know you're saying for the, the movement screen side of things using the FMS, I've used that in the past as well. I've also used, I don't know if you've come across it, the athletic ability assessment, which is out of Australia of McCowan. So I actually haven't, I haven't seen that. So similar sort of pathway, I think it's a bit more expanded. There's a lot more single leg work into it as well, but mm -hmm. it incorporates a lot more of seeing how the athlete moves under load and force velocity. So like a lot of, it's applicable quite a lot to field sport athletes as well, mm -hmm. just with a lot of single leg jumping and bounding and landing. So obviously mm -hmm. maybe not as applicable to fire pilots, but some of the stuff under load might be an interesting concept as well. Oh yeah, I mean, and, and once again, I think the biggest thing that strength and conditioning coaches on this contract have learned is that mm -hmm you know, we really have to adapt everything we know from athletics into what we're doing now. Yeah. Uh, and, and there's no, there's no bad sites. Cause you know, like for instance, uh, you know, I have the whole CrossFit argument. I'm, I'm not the biggest advocate of CrossFit, you know, it's kind of a well-known thing, but I still think you can learn a lot from it. And I think they build general physical preparation probably better than a lot of other people, you know, and I, and at the end of the day, you know, every study we've looked at, especially like the old school Soviet union studies, you know, you got all those very famous coaches and, you know, doctors out there saying, you know, you need to have that rule of three, right? Like you got to build up for three years specifically of just general physical preparation before you specify in anything. Mm -hmm. So general is actually more specific in those applicable cases. So I, when people always talk about specificity with pilots, I'm like, well, it's not really super specific, but it's still complex at the end of the day with the neck work and understanding where the specific pilot's at and tailoring it to the individual sometimes off that master plan. Definitely, and I think it's it's great to hear as well. Just taking things from you know different modalities that you may not necessarily agree with, like you say, with the CrossFit side of things. I'm the same. Like when CrossFit came out, I was like, well, "What is this?" And over time, I've mellowed a little bit. I'm like, "Right, okay, what are the components I can take from this without having to drink the Kool Aid?" I'm like, okay, yeah, how do I yeah. take this and apply this sort of thing. So, yeah. like, there is, like you say, some good things there, just from a, a general work capacity standpoint. Some of the stuff is applicable, and you can take that through without doing say a high rep snatch and under stay fatigue and stuff like that. So, okay, what can I take and use going forward for my guys as well? And what would be a good transfer over? So that's a huge, huge thing that I did. 
well and, and even and even harping in on that too it's like if, if i can adapt something and then make it better for you guys well then it can easily be tailored to being something that's beneficial you know exactly. um you know jeff and i have a saying and it's crossfit gets people decent to good at everything but not great at anything mm-hmm. you know and I, for the tactical athlete those needs are actually very similar so i want to get you decent to good at every everything because it's not about like a football player for instance here in america you know we want you to be fast strong agile be able to last uh, four quarters and you know not get injured hopefully yeah. produce a lot of force during that time period and be big enough to play your position those are very specific factors that we can look at but with the fighter pilots it's like okay well we got to have you know aerobic capacity to be able to repeat these you know high highly intensive sorties back to back to back if needed we have to have the ability to strain under isometric contraction we have to have a strong neck we have to have a low back that um, has traction built into the program and build up the low back and posterior chain you know we got to build up all sorts of energy system development whether that's you know like phosphogen anaerobic threshold or aerobic so being decent to good at everything is actually a better program for our pilots than being super specific like a football player mm-hmm, mm-hmm. definitely definitely so i mean it's interesting to hear because i'm interested to keep track and just chat to mm-hmm. see how things go forward with that program see how it develops too as well i think that'll be really interesting to hear um for everyone i've had on this podcast i'm always keen to learn from them as well Costa. so i always ask the same question of just for learning and development if you've got a book an app or a website you've personally found useful in your own development or learning yeah um so i'll start off with books um i love caldita's triphasic i think it's very modifiable and i specifically recommend especially for the tactical setting as that expands in Australia and the United States and, and in the UK as well, um, looking into the uh, triphasic tactical manual, I think that helped really shift my perspective from, you know, a conjugate approach, you know, a traditional athletic development approach uh, to being like, okay, we can train multiple qualities at once and still get a result. You know, um, I think Joe Ken's tier system and the Exos um, performance specialist certification is actually really good for the total body um training because a lot of times our programs are based in total body yes we'll do upper lower splits uh as far as certain uh days and phases are concerned but you know a lot of the times i don't know when i'm going to see these pilots again so having that ability to create quality total body programs is going to be really beneficial for the tactical setting um and then uh you know just learning um from any website basically right so the websites i use are going to be uh, team builders blog uh simply faster's blog and lead fts's blog there's a ton of coaches from a ton of different backgrounds on there and you can take a lot of their stuff, whether it's like someone like Ashley Jones from professional rugby and taking his in-season articles uh, that I use and we're able to actually say, okay, well, if you're, if you're in this range, in this range, you don't need these things over here. And it kind of created a flow chart that I helped use for certain guys um, on my end when I'm writing the individual programs for some of them. Um, and I think those websites are uh, very high quality writers, uh, very knowledgeable coaches as well. I mean, that's awesome. Dude. Those are some solid resources there and 100% agree with you as well. Like, I've read a lot of Ashley Jones's stuff and oh, yeah. highly applicable, like really switched on coach. Um, yeah, great, great resources there, mate. Costa, mm-hmm. uh, obviously it's been an absolute pleasure again to sit down and chat with you, mate. You know, for anyone who's listening to this episode today and either has some questions or either about like, you know, your program, how to get into the field or just wants to reach out and connect on anything we've chatted about here today, what's the best way they can do that? Uh, so the first way would just be email. Uh, it's Coach Costa Telegatis, all one word at gmail.com. Uh, that would be the best uh, personal email to reach out to me at. 
the second would be uh, Instagram. Uh, it's coach underscore Telegatis. And then uh, Twitter is at K Telegatis. Uh, all one word as well for that. Uh, yeah. Perfect, mate. I'll make sure I stick them into our show notes along with uh, your recommendations as well, mate. You know, because I know you're a busy dude, mate. So thank you once again for giving up your time uh, so graciously, dude. Oh, uh, well, I really appreciate you having me on, John. It's been an absolute pleasure uh, getting to talk it up and chop it up with you out here. Perfect. Take care, Costa. Yes, sir. You too.